Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we're talking about an anemic gospel in most churches, in most contexts. It's weak, and we don't really see how the gospel is enough to motivate us to obey, and it's enough to transform this world. Uh, we seem to think that we need other things in the church and in our messages and on our pulpits. And Justin and I are going to explain how the gospel is very sufficient. And when it is rightly taught, it brings forth strength, hope, and comfort. I'm going to show you from the Bible how we can find confidence and stand firm in the gospel and preach it in all its fullness. And in the SR podcast, I talk about a conference that I recently went to and how I was very disappointed in how the gospel was very absent. We hope you enjoy. If you'd like to help support Theocast, you can do that by leaving us a review on iTunes and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Plus, we have a Facebook group if you'd like to join the conversation there. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed and pastoral perspective. Well, today, conversations shall be had around microphones by Pastor Justin Perdue of Covenant Baptist Church in Asheville, North Carolina. And I am John Moffat, the pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee, just yeah, south are. of Nashville. Justin, it's good to be with you, my friend. I know last time we had talked about our sermons where are you? Are you still uh, progressing through Genesis? Where are you? Yeah, I am. And I think last week I may have talked about what I was about to preach mm. uh, because we recorded late in the week and I had my mm. current sermon on my mind. So now I'm on the backside of having preached that sermon and I'm going to talk about that for a brief second again, I guess. So <laughs> preached uh, the account in Genesis uh, where we go from... Um, Jacob tending Laban's flocks and he's doing all this stuff with the sticks and, you know, there are spotted and mottled, you know, goats and sheep with black on them being born all over the place. And Jacob's possessions are increased and Laban's are decreased. And then the famous passage, I think, well known to many of Jacob wrestling with God. And so really was a sweet service we had on Sunday. And, and even just the sermon itself was good. Uh, thinking about the God who, willingly came down and took on flesh and limited himself and willingly lost to give us the victory, mm. you know? And, uh, so just really sweet stuff for our people, man. And, and thinking yeah. about the, the depth of the mercy and grace of God and what Christ has done for us and all of that was a good time. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, still going through our series on the purpose of the church. This week was the gathered church. And what we were looking at is the what is the motivation that we have. So first yeah. John, uh first John three sixteen, by this we know love, that Christ lays that life down for the church, and we ought to also mm-hmm. lay our lives down for the yeah. brothers. And then looked at Romans five as the explanation of that, which we'll get into some of that today, I think, as well. Uh sure. but really explaining that John's motivation, Paul's motivation, everyone's in the New Testament motivation for loving your brother and sacrificing everything, your time, emotions, money, for the sake of the body is always our motivations found in Christ. I mean, mm-hmm. Philippians 2 is a great example of that where we look at to the, the sacrifice Christ has made on how he lowered himself and humbled himself. And we too lower ourselves, humble ourselves for the sake of, and Paul even says, submitting ourselves to one another. So the motivation is always the gospel, which leads us into, you had a gospel sermon last Sunday. I had a gospel sermon this Aim Sunday. Aim to every Sunday, amen. 
you you know what I should I I it's fair to say to my congregants if I ever not preach Christ you have fire every me. right to fire me fire me send me on my way without severance and not a recommendation letter because if you have not received Christ I have not done my job That's Justin right. that is what we're going to talk about today so my friend explain the title and why it is that you and I feel it's so necessary to take our time out of the week and have this important conversation that we want the world to hear whether the yeah. world will listen is to be determined but we are going to record it we are going to record it so the title <laughs> the problem an anemic gospel i think that's what we're going to title it that's right and the I don't know, the motivation behind this, uh, the reason for the title, um, an anemic gospel, meaning it's a weak, sickly gospel, is uh, what we understand to be the problem in the church, regardless of what stream of the church we're talking about. So John and I, the truth and advertising, pull the curtain back. I think we both are coming at this from the same place, but maybe in terms of the the portions of the conversation that we're each respectively most excited to have are different today. And that's good. I hope that benefits the listener. Um, we were just talking about before we hit record and I was talking with some of the, the guys at the church last week about some of this, you hear all kinds of things said in terms of the diagnosis of the current church moment. Like there are all these problems that exist in the church and depending on what stream of, of church culture you're talking about, the diagnosis is different right? Maybe in certain circles, it's, well, we don't talk enough about obedience and we don't talk enough about, you know, everything that God demands of us. And that's why the church looks like it looks. We got all these fakers in the church. Then in another sector of the church, you've got, you know, people saying, well, we're not concerned enough about social issues and things going on in the culture. And that's what's ailing the church. And if we would just talk about these things better and address them better, then it would cure what ails us. And then in other streams, even you maybe have people saying, you know, uh, we are so concerned with uh, all these things that we really don't need to be concerned about. I mean, Jesus, just listen to Jesus. All he told us to do is just to love other people and to do unto them as we would have them do unto us. And we just need to be more accepting. And if we were more accepting, then that would cure what's, what ails us and all that. And John and I, with respect to all of this, like pick your issue you know, sure. that you see in the church. We, we talked about this before we recorded, and we're going to say this and I think make this clear throughout. We are not confident in ourselves that we have everything right. Our churches are far from perfect. They have plenty of warts and flaws. And at the same time, we would both stake our ministries and our lives on what we're going to talk about today. And we know we're right on this, that the cure for what ails us in the church is to preach the whole Christ and to preach a robust gospel. And that's what the church is about. It's about Jesus and the people who need him. That's what we gather for. That's what we come on Sundays needing to hear and be given is Christ in the word, Christ in the sacraments, Christ in the service, man. And so that's where we're coming from. And we're going to talk about several different trajectories maybe of church culture, sectors of church culture in the West today, and maybe try to shed some light on how people think the problem is this, 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 or this. And it's like, nah, homie, the problem is you're preaching an anemic gospel and we need to preach Christ and all that he's done for sinners. And it's amazing, not that the church will be perfect this side of the resurrection, but it's remarkable how transformational that is in a church's life and culture when Christ right. is preached and held out this way. I want to go back to something David, uh, Dr. David Van Drunen said to us on the podcast, if you didn't hear on Two Kingdoms, I encourage you to 
uh, go listen to the two kingdoms perspective, not theology. That uh, <clears throat> he two kingdoms doctrine. <laughs> doctrine. That's right. <laughs> Never get but that one wrong again. That's right. Uh, so thankful for his time. Yeah, so that was, Point of it, it was, was he said, moment, you know? that's right. He, he <laughs> said that pastors are very inadequate. And I, I yeah. love, I love that he said that because when, when you think about all that a pastor often is put on his plate and what he's yeah. asked to um, deal with, to speak process, about or address, right, we are not adequate to deal with these subjects. And when it comes down to medical, political, um, social issues that really require education, time, and experience. And yet we, the reason I mention this is that when I listen to modern day pastors, it seems to be the one thing, according to the book of Acts, that we are dedicating our times to the study of the word and prayer so that we might do what Ephesians 4 says to uh, appropriately teach the word of God so that we can equip the church for the work of ministry. We are out of our lane in the, the emphasis John, of the gospel. If I can interject in yeah. SR, you should talk about your experience going to a conference a few months ago yeah, that yeah. was dealing with some of these things. And you were just like, bro, I've yes. been here all day and I heard, I ain't heard about Christ yet. <laughs> That's right. That, yeah. save Amen. That I can members, yeah. yeah, I'll definitely save that for SR. But the, uh, when I look at what the church speaks into, what they almost claim um, professional, uh, capacity. Level capacity, yeah, and right. capability to speak to. And, yeah. and, yes, I th- thank you, capacities. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because, one, they're, they're no better than what the world is offering. Oft, often the world is better because they, they actually have education and systems that actually work Training, with the churches. Training, yeah, right. all that. The churches, and, and where the church should be focused, we have listened to the world, and the world in, in this particular perspective has dictated what the church then speaks about and what it focuses on. Uh, and w- when I read something like Corinthians chapter one, and Paul says, for the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing. When you are more concerned about what the world's perspective of the church is, you're going to end up adjusting what you emphasize and what you talk about mm-hmm. because it, it he is right. The, the, the gospel is scandalous. It has, it is not a logical message it is not one that when someone looks like it and analyzes it and, and and wants to scientifically pull it apart and they walk away and go, yeah, that makes a lot of sense yep. there. That, well, that a, a father would child, you know, they call it uh, child abuse is what the world calls yeah, it. They call it abuse, ridiculous. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, when I'm listening to you talk, I mean, we're, you're, you're kind of taking us into the, the stream and it's fine to start here where, um, you know, there seems to be a demand on the part of some people that the church be able to speak super well to all the issues of culture in our day. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of them. And as we've acknowledged many times on the show, because of sin, since Adam and Eve, there has been all kinds of horrific stuff in the culture from Jump Street. One, we need to acknowledge that. And then there are all kinds of things that go on culturally and societally that are, are legitimately uh, common kingdom considerations when it comes to public policy and the like, and how we can best handle some of these issues where we deal with where the, the capital that we trade in, in the church pointedly is matters pertaining to the gospel, sin and repentance. And so that as pastors is what we want to concern ourselves with and not so much trying to fix everything that ails the society and the culture in which we find ourselves living. Um, the church is better off. I mean, this is kind of a throwback to that two kingdoms episode we did. 
the church is actually far more effective when the church keeps her mission clear. And right, that's and that's the, what that's the proclamation what this whole of conversation Christ. is. Yeah, and the administration like the of the sacraments for the salvation of God's people. Yeah, yeah. and the mission the mission is it's not only lost, but when we do participate in the very events that we should be as a church, which is the whole point of this podcast, is that they're anemic. They're not. They're not yeah. even really seen as useful. Um, I always go back and I use this. I've been using it for years. Paul describes one thing that encapsulates the power of God. There's nothing else in scripture that says this yeah. is the power of God yeah. other than God's power displayed from him. But Paul's saying this message of the gospel actually encapsulates the power of God. This is why we are told that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, because the word of God encapsulates the power of God. And, right. and when we think about the most important journey someone has, it is from this life to the next and how it is that they're, they're going to make that journey. And the, I mentioned this in my sermon and I'll mention it here, Justin, and I'll throw it over to you. I, I say this, not, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I, I definitely don't want to come across as if my motives are, are pure and everything I do is always right. And, and I don't struggle with this as well. I know I struggle with this and I know Justin struggles with this as well, that a lot of the decisions, the arguments and the things that boil our blood are not necessarily Christocentric coming from the word of God, but they are related to comfortableness, the comfortable nature that we have. In other words, if something's going to mess with me being happy and comfortable, that becomes the, the, the most important part of what I'm going to protect. Yeah. And when we think about the culture of today and social issues of today, you can look at people's arguments and you can see how much the volume comes up. And then when you stop and ask yourself, this is a temporal issue that has to deal with our generation and our culture right now, but it has no bearing when it, you think about eternity and when you think about the mission of the church. And so when, like, I'll give this illustration now, you hear people raise their voice about governments, about mandates, about vaccines, and all of that has a bearing on what your life will look like, you know, the comfortableness sure. of what you can and cannot do. And yet we had 40 million babies murdered last year, but our blood doesn't get boiled over that because it actually doesn't change the way where I work, what kind of income I have, the internet, the my freedoms, and and this is not a podcast about abortion. I'm just saying that it's obvious that the American culture, and it's natural for us to do this, we're, we want to protect yeah. that which keeps us comfortable. And my point is, is come into the church and into the preaching of the church, where instead of heralding the, the power of God through the gospel, we are giving our opinions on protecting what keeps us comfortable. Yeah. Well, I think that's true in, in any social issue. I mean, you literally can fill in the blank. You right. know, people, people are ruled by comfort, you know, and that's mm -hmm. true in their perspectives on these various issues. It matters not which one we're talking right. about. No. And yeah, I, I have a couple of thoughts on this while we're still kind of on this portion of the, the talk of the podcast. I know we've said this before, but I feel this in my bones and I trust many listening may too. I care about 
political and social issues. I care very much about many of them. Um, I'm a citizen of this country. I'm a citizen of the common kingdom. We are called in Christ to love neighbor. And I know as believers, we want to take that very seriously and love our neighbor. So, I mean, there are plenty of things that go on in our lives that make us feel all kinds of ways. And, and we should, I mean, have strong feelings about these things um, because the way that we live in the world matters. And at the same time, when I come to church on Sunday, John, I do not want to, nor do I need to hear more about what's going on politically, what's going on with the government, what's going on in our society. Uh, I don't need to hear about political and societal issues because I've been bombarded by those Monday through Saturday. When I come to church, I need to be reminded of the thing, definite article, the thing that matters. And that has everything to do with Christ and what he has accomplished on my behalf and on behalf of all these other sinners who have gathered with me. Like, what is our hope in this life that is so often just racked with pain and injustice and all this kind of suffering and just ugliness every place? What hope do we have? And what is true, for goodness sakes? That's what we need to be reminded of on the Lord's day. Mm-hmm. And here's the great, here's the wonder about all that. You come in exhausted and beat down. You're given Christ. You find rest for your weary soul on the Lord's day. And then you're actually equipped and you actually have the capacity to go out and love other people in your vocation or love other people in your just day-to-day life in the society. And you become more fruitful and effective. It's sure. remarkable. You know, and so then one other comment here. And I know this can be overblown, but I think it's a legitimate observation to make. For the people that clamor all the time that we need to be hammering societal and political issues from the pulpit. Um, when I read the New Testament, and I read the epistles in particular written by the apostles, there were no doubt societal and political issues aplenty in the first century context. And there is next to zero ink spilled on said political and societal issues. Mm. What is written to is the realities of Christ and the gospel, the realities of sin and repentance, and the realities of life together in the body of Christ. That's what the apostles spill ink on, and thereby... That's what we need to be spilling ink on, proverbially. That's what we need to be using oxygen Heralding. for That's in right. the pulpit is preach these things and herald these things because this is what the church is about and this is why we gather. That's right. No, I think it's good. And we can definitely take this into, uh, you know, I know the application is about to come, but before we do, I think one of the, one of the areas, we, we don't want to pick on one area. We want to kind of assess all the different areas of the church and, and where, where things are at. And again, um, Justin and I are making these observations, not based upon our own, our own wisdom and our own, you know, we, we feel very confident in what we have chosen to be as right. We look at scripture and we look at the history of what the church has fought for and how men of God have rightly divided the word of God and, and has preserved and protected this. This is why we are creedal and confessional because we look to what the church has emphasized and rightly so given to us. But this is um, when you can you can you can easily see how there's so much that can distract you. Uh, I'll just make this uh, quote from from Paul to Timothy, and I'll throw it back over to you, Justin. Mm. And for our next subject is that you know Paul warned about there being itchy ears, and that they were going to seek for themselves people that are going to want to feed their flesh, is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And the the criticism there, just to be careful. Paul is saying, hey, beware, these people are there. Yeah. But the criticism isn't to the people. It's it's to the pastors who give in to it. 
Because yeah. that that they're they're always going to be there because that's our natural bent. We're and so a lot of this podcast is very much a criticism of what's going on in modern day pulpits and saying, you know, this this we've taken the power of God and set it aside for the the wisdom of men. And this is exactly yeah. what Paul was warning against in Timothy that yeah. they're wanting to hear things that relate to their current current circumstances. And Justin are saying the current circumstances has one solution and that's the gospel and it's hard for people to hear that because they're like no there, there's more to it than just that john you can't just say it's the gospel and i'm like well i can because right. paul did if you're new to theocast we have a free ebook available for you called faith versus faithfulness a primer on rest and if you've struggled with legalism a lack of assurance or simply want to know what it means to live by faith alone we wrote this little book to provide a simple answer from a Reformed confessional perspective. You can get your free copy at theocast.org slash primer. Well, it's the gospel, which then equips and restores the saints in such a way that they can then go and love neighbor. And in their going and loving neighbor, they're not going to fix what, what ails the world because that's not going to happen until the resurrection. Right. You know, but it's, it's the best thing we can do is offer hope to people in the midst of suffering. So that that's kind of our, our first attempt there at, at assessing one stream of what's going on in the church, like people that are saying that the problem in the church is that the church does not deal with social issues well enough mm-hmm. and political issues well enough. Well, our response is what we've already said. I, I want to jump to the next one, kind of sandwich this one in the middle. We probably won't spend as long here, right. uh, but this I, I feel like this should be said in this podcast. So now we're going to talk about the stream of the church that might be called progressive, or you might even call it, I mean, liberal, you know, theologically. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the stream where, you know, like the, the blogosphere has been sort of, you know, eaten up with a lot of people in this stream uh, in recent, recent years. And we don't need to drop any names here, but I, I think many will hear kind of who we're referring to, even as we talk about this. So you'll hear people in this camp, this kind of progressive, more liberal Christianity kind of camp talk about, well, you know, the real problem is we, we hammer doctrine too much. We get so rigid and, and concerned and, and stuffy up and, and just all, I don't know, worked up about stuff that we don't need to be worked up about. Like, you know, we need to take our cue from Jesus. So there's some really bad theology and bad exegesis going on here when they'll say, you know, Jesus basically just said, we need to love each other. And, you know, all this stuff in the Mosaic law and the Levitical law, like that was so over the top, like that was just insane from a bygone era. And even Jesus knew that. And he didn't talk anything about that stuff. He just told people that we need to love others and do unto others as we would want them to do unto us. And so the problem in the church today is that we are too concerned about doctrine and we're too concerned about all this other stuff that's rigid. And we end up marginalizing and alienating people and we need to be more accepting. And if we were more accepting, it would cure what ails the church. Hmm. My initial response to that is not only is that just really bad theology, but you have completely removed any kind of law gospel paradigm from the Bible whatsoever. Because you have basically said that when Jesus told others, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, that he basically was saying that to jettison and throw away any other commandment in the law. And that all you really need to worry about is just imperfectly loving God and imperfectly loving neighbor, but do it with a sincere heart. And that's what pleases the Lord. And that is, I want to use bad words about how bad that is theologically (laughs) in terms of dumbing the law down that much. Yeah. 
right? Because then, and then what happens, John, when you dumb the law down that much and you basically tell people to go out there and love other people and be a good person. I mean, I grew up with some of this. Um, you, you basically not only have become a moralist completely, you know, in terms of your standing before God, you also, you lose completely the work of Christ in the place of the sinner. There's no room to talk about atonement. There's no room to talk about you know, propitiation, a satisfaction being made for sins. There's no room to talk about you know, absolution of guilt because it doesn't seem like anybody's really guilty except of being a bigot maybe. And That's then right. you know, it's, there's the other part is, uh, what about the righteousness of Christ that he accomplished on behalf of sinners? It's like, well, I don't know that we really need that you know, because That's he right. fulfilled a law that apparently was archaic and was a mistake in the first place. You know, so the work of Christ has no place in in that kind of stream of thinking and so it's very gospelless frankly yeah 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 the the death of Christ becomes an unfortunate circumstance yeah. where people didn't appreciate how loving and kind Jesus was and he was yeah. going against culture he was going yep. against racism yep. and because of that he ended up dying and what Jesus becomes is an example that see we need to be loving and kind and look at what happens when yeah. people He's aren't our loving example. and kind That's right. He's our example of see Jesus was trying to change culture and culture wasn't ready to change and that's why they killed him and that's where American is today or you could say whatever culture is out there that's that right. you know look we're trying to bring loving and accept. Jesus was accepting of all. He was loving of all. And we missed the entire point of why Jesus came and it became, it becomes right. about acceptance. Yeah. And there's a difference between love and an acceptance. So mm -hmm. I think Romans five is very helpful here in giving us an illustration of what it is that Jesus came to do and making sure you understand that Jesus wasn't coming to to fix cultural divides or racism or social issues. Um, obviously he is according to Revelation 21 because he's going to make all things new. Yeah. Uh, that is the final act of, of his glorious uh, will Amen. of the Father. Amen. But right now, this is what the cross meant. This is when we say gospel, this is what we mean. And when you take it down to be well, let's just love each other and let's look to God and, you know, let's be kind to each other. And that becomes the end, the, and the, everybody's the end okay. of the gospel and everybody's you know? going to be okay. And we're just going to be yeah. accepting and the world would be a better place if we can all learn to love and accept each other. And that is not good news. Okay. Right. It doesn't fix your problem. It only right. compounds your problem because you can't love people sufficiently enough to make everything all right. So this is what he says for while we were weak, at the right now, weak. Another way to translate this is in First Peter is this helpless. Mm -hmm. So you need to understand what he means by this. While we were helpless, helpless in what? To fix the plot what we were, he says, Christ died for the ungodly. So we were helpless in our ungodliness. And it says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though mm -hmm. perhaps for a good person one would dare to even to die. So he's giving a, a, a very important comparison here. I used this recently for 9-11. You had four, over 400 and almost 50 people who gave their lives up mm -hmm. for what they would think is a, a righteous cause. And yeah. Not everybody did, but there was a lot of people who did. But there were people willing during, to do it. Willing to do it. And he was saying that there's some people who are willing to do that, but they didn't consider those. They weren't giving their life up for the terrorists in the plane. They right. weren't giving, they were trying to say what they would consider to be innocent Americans, right? Yeah. And so that's, he's saying some people will do that, but then he compares it to this. But God shows his love 
for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since there we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Listen, we understand word wrath. It's another way of expressing anger. We all felt this 20 years ago when we saw the towers fall. Mm -hmm. There was this sense of we want justice for what? This is a horrific act. And anytime we see any kind of crime or uh, injustice in our culture, there's that anger within us that says, we want this to be made right. That's the wrath that God has anger because our inju- the way in which we have treated his holiness and his creation, the way in which we have completely violated him creates this anger. So God's not looking at you like a puppy who messed on the floor and said, oh, I can't believe you did that again. That's mm-hmm. not anger and wrath. The wrath and anger of enemy, and he uses this word. Listen to this next word, just so you understand. He says uh, in verse 9, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by his death uh, of his son, much more now that we will be reconciled and saved by his life. Mm -hmm. Here's the word enemy. We get that. Mm-hmm. Enemy is kind of the pinnacle of hatred and anger. Yeah. You you have violated something that is so precious that you are no longer going to be status other than the most thing I hate. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. I, you're, you are something that I want to see not in existence in this form anymore. So we understand, I'm just going to keep using 9-11 because it's been on our on our minds, but the illustration is this. We immediately saw what the injustice happened, and we created an enemy, which was the terrorist, no matter you know what your political views are. And you can make this in any moment for any injustice. Mm-hmm. And what, what, what Paul just wrote here was this. Here's the illustration. Jesus walked across the enemy lines and stood in front of you and said, okay, all of the anger and all of the justice that mm-hmm. you're wanting to bring forth. He took the barrel of the gun and he shifted it off of your forehead and put it on his. And then that's not, this is when he says much more shall we say by his life. Mm. This is when it, he didn't just pay for your sins. He then said, okay, now I want you to go across enemy lines and you're going to go live in my home with my family and you don't have to do anything. There's no work. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's nothing. And I'll let them know that you are completely welcome and you belong there. And that Mm -hmm. is your new title. You're not a terrorist who the Americans hate. You're now a part of our country. You're a part of who we are, and we're going to change your identity, and you are now adopted in. Yeah. That you is were, scandalous. You were an enemy. Now you're an adopted child. That's right. And yeah. that's the scandal of the gospel. And yeah. in this section, he says, oh, and by the way, there's just one thing I need you to do. You're going to be amongst a bunch of other adopted people, and I need you to love them. Which would you think uh, the way I, the love I received, and here's what's crazy is that um, uh, someone expressed this to me yesterday. And what's even, what's even crazier is that, that, that you were already dead. See, he brought you alive yeah. and then brought you over. And it completely, the the whole, I mean, there's, there can be holes in any illustration, but Romans 5 you can't just say Jesus was a good person so we could be ex- look at that example. It's like, no, Jesus became yeah. that which God hated, Yep, the Jesus, enemy of God. Yeah, Jesus as example damns us all because nobody, right. nobody can do it. Nobody That's can right. live as Jesus lived. Jesus as redeemer and savior. Okay, now we've got something to sing about, you know. That's and right. I, I know that I'm not trying to be punchy or hurt anybody's feelings or, you know, cause you to burn something that you own or whatever here. But uh, the WWJD bracelet is sort of like 
the moniker of this kind of progressive movement that we're sort of highlighting here for a minute, that whole question of what would Jesus do with all due respect, that is the absolute wrong question to ask. The question to ask when the rubber meets the road, as we stand before God is not what would Jesus do, but what did he do? What did he do in the place of sinners that would reconcile me to the Holy God who made us all? And that's the emphasis. Of course, we look to Christ as example. Of course, we learn how we're to love and live with each other from the scripture. But example will save no one. We need a redeemer. We need someone who can satisfy for our sins and provide us with the righteousness that we don't have. And that is... That's the message that's been entrusted to the church and the message that we herald. John, you want to pivot maybe to our last yep. category here? Yeah, this one's a little spicy. This one's spicy. I mean, we saved it for last, not really on purpose, and we just kind of let this unfold as it did. Um, I was afraid it was going to take over. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was wise to, to you let us off with not this, and that was probably yeah. a good move. So now we're going to talk about the stream of the church that, uh, I mean, frankly, I mean, if we're being, being straight up, it is the stream of the church that we speak to most often, probably yeah. it's the, you know, the conservative evangelical, potentially even the Calvinistic evangelical that lives in a context that we might label, um, neonomism, like a new law. Uh, and so here the assessment of the church is that the problem is the church is full of fakers. It's, it's full of people who are Christian in name only. And, there is not enough concern in the church with obedience. There is not enough mm. preaching about obedience. There is not enough like fear of God instilled in people. There's not enough skin in the game and people need to take holiness and obedience to God's commands much more seriously. And if we would do that, then we would legitimately and authentically finally be the church, you know, as the Lord intended. And the th- here's the problem, John. It's not, I mean, you and I are all for obedience. Amen. Mm -hmm. You and I are all for holiness. Absolutely. We are all for piety, which is the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the saints. Amen. But the problem is when you say, here's the, here's what ails us. We don't talk about obedience enough. We don't preach obedience enough. And you think that the answer is to just preach obedience and bombard people with law and commands and then threaten them and scare them into doing things. We think that's going to cure it. I mean, that's like putting a Band-Aid, you know, on on the the gaping wound, right? It's just not going to work. You're putting a Band-Aid on something that's wrong internally. Like, we we need to actually get at this thing from the inside out. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it, John, and then we'll, we'll just riff on this for the rest of the regular episode. Yeah. I get really, really worked up. And this was a conversation I had with some guys from, from the church last week as I was processing my sermon out loud. And we were talking about grace and the nature of grace and all this stuff and how grace makes people really nervous. Like it terrifies folks because they think that as soon as you really hammer grace biblically and that Jesus has done everything, that you're going to produce lawlessness and apathy towards obedience. Right. Mm. And I'm like, look, the problem is not in so many church contexts, because we had just been thinking together as a group of guys about Christ and his work for us. And we're all just like moved to practically the point of tears and gratitude, like with what Jesus has done for wretches like us. And it's like the cure for, for this lack of obedience and zeal that you see in the church is not to just preach law. And it's not to just pound people with commands and shame and guilt them into doing something. The problem guys is that you're preaching an anemic gospel. You're not preaching Christ for goodness sakes. You're not giving people the whole Christ. You're not telling them here's how bad it is. Like here's the reality of the law. 
And now consider Christ who left heaven and limited himself and willingly gave his life for you to atone for your sin and satisfy for your sin and absolve you of guilt. And then he lived a perfect life, came and was a baby for crying out loud and lived a a life of suffering and was perfected by suffering and was obedient every moment so that it's actually like you did all the good works he did. And now he's your righteousness. And you think about that, like, my goodness, what did Christ do for me? And if there's, no, if there's a better motivator in all the world, John, to flee from sin and pursue righteousness than to consider Christ that way, I don't know what that motivation is. That's and right. I will die preaching that message of this is the way. Consider Christ and look at how lives will change. Look at how love for neighbor is stirred up amongst right. us. Look at how people respond to that preaching of Christ and they're thinking, man, I don't want to sin. I don't want to offend the one who died for me. Mm -hmm. I want to obey him. You know, God, give me grace that I might. That's how people leave our services every Sunday, I trust, because people tell me that that's how they leave. Yeah, same here. Anyway. No, I, I, uh, you're talking about two different diets. I've been in, I've been around people who they have to have a guilt diet. Otherwise they don't feel motivated to do what's right. You know, just from a healthy yeah. standpoint, you Gosh, have, John, you have carb, you have carb filled, you have carb filled diets where you, you actually get your energy by carbs. And so you have mm-hmm. to keep carbs coming in and then you have yeah. a different, you know, more health, healthy diet, which a nutrition based diet where you're getting your energy it's based balanced. on, it's balanced. right. You're right. getting it off of the nutrients of vegetables and meat and things like that. And so one is sugar based and, and one is going to be more vegetable based. And it's Justin, you and I both know, you know, battling health as a pastor, we're always having to go out to eat with people and our, our diets swing back and forth. And I know when I, when I stop dealing with sugar in my body, it doesn't, I, it almost becomes afraid of like, no, 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 I think I'm going to stick with what I trust. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people have come up on diets of guilt driven mm-hmm. sermons where you're always worried about, have I done enough? I'm just going to give you, I'm going to spark something here, Justin, and I know it's oh, going to blow up here, but I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a couple of examples of how Paul encourages obedience. Okay. Listen to this. This is Ephesians four. Um, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does he mm-hmm. mean called? He's talking about called in as adopted children. The first three yeah. chapters. Listen to first John three. Yeah, he, bro, he's talking about sovereign grace. That's right. And by the way, he says, we'll we'll get into the actual obedience. But the point of it is, he's pointing back to the first three chapters of the the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mm -hmm. 1 John 3, 16, he says, um, by this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What was Mm -hmm. his motivation? His motivation was- Consider Christ consider Christ. And if you understand what it is that it means for Christ to lay his life down for us, hmm. you're left in awe and wonder. Amen. Uh, I will even go to first Peter three, nine, where he says, if these truths about obeying gentleness, godliness, kindness, meekness, he hmm. goes, if it's not true about you and increasing, hmm, he doesn't use guilt, Justin. He says, you have forgotten that you've, you've been forgotten. cleansed from your former you, sins. These are gospel, just a, gospel right. amnesia. That's right. So when you weaken the gospel, because you have three examples here, three examples from three different authors. I'm about to give another one. <laughs> you, had, you have Paul, you have Peter, and you have John. And all three of them are saying the motivation to obey God is not fear, but grace. It is Amen, grace-driven bro. gratitude. Preach it, brother. Right. So it's guilt, yeah. gratitude, grace. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, guilt, 
grace and gratitude. And the gratitude, yeah. the confessions have been saying for hundreds of years, is our motivation for yeah. obedience. And the Catholic Church flat out says, if that's your motivation for obedience, anathema would be you. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> my, my kind of last bastion of defense, I mean, the examples you gave are great. And right. I know that this is a passage that, that I, I mean, Ephesians four is referred to maybe more than any other passage on here. Romans seven, maybe next, but this right. one is also a, first Peter would that, be we, third. <laughs> that we hammer quite a bit, but it's, it's Romans chapter six, because we were just talking about Romans five and the early part of it, how, when we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Right. And we've been justified by faith in Christ. And now we have peace with God. But then the, the second half of chapter five is all about imputation. And by that, we mean the crediting, the counting of Christ's obedience and righteousness to us as our righteousness. So Christ, through his obedience, made the many to be counted obedient, to be counted righteous. And so Paul, by the inspiration of the spirit, anticipates the objection that is as old as the church. So should we should just sin then, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if that's what happened... And if the more we sin, the more grace abounds, that's what you're saying, we should just sin then, right? And he says, by no means. But I I can't, I'll say this the rest of my life, John. He does not say, by no means, you remember what the law says. He doesn't say that. <laughs> that's right. He doesn't say, by no means, thou shalt not A, B, C, D. Mm. He says, by no means, because you we have been united to Christ by faith. That's the answer. That's right. It's it's not a natural human intuition response. It's a supernatural gospel response. I mean, this is gosh, it's so important, right? So, no, by no means you should you shouldn't go on sinning because you've been united to Jesus now. You've been united to him in his death, burial and resurrection. You've been raised to walk in newness of life in him. You've been set free from sin. It used to you literally were a slave. It, you, it was your tyrant. You were in bondage, and you have been set free from that now. Now, he's going to say, you know, you're still going to sin, of course. Romans 7 is coming. But you've been set free from that now, and you have become obedient from the heart. That's Romans 6, 1 through 17. And so in one sense, he's saying, no, of course, you. why would you go on sinning now? It's not your identity anymore. It's not who you are anymore. You've been united to Christ now. You've been raised to walk in newness of life in him. You've been set free from the tyranny and the bondage of sin, and you've become obedient from the heart. You actually want to obey now. So why in the world would you go on sinning? That's the response. And it's not the response you get, right, in this camp that we're describing right now, because the response in those camps really is, should we sin all the more that grace may abound? By no means. Don't you know what the law says and that you'll go to hell? And that, I would argue, is not the right way to use the law. The right Mm -hmm. way to use the law in terms of don't you know what the law says and those who do these things will, will inherit eternal judgment the way to use the law in that sense is to talk with people who have not yet been crushed by the law and therefore have not yet trusted Christ. Or if you have people who are being arrogant about sin and they think it's an expression of Christian freedom, then okay, sure. You can, you can drop the hammer in that moment and say, yeah, you ought not be arrogant. Like Paul does in first Corinthians five and six. Right. Well, they, they using the law as motivation, or I would say instructions as motivation. No, like that's almost to say, well, uh, you know, um, for instance, the law my children, can instruct, but it can't ever motivate. 
No, it, it cannot gives motivate. no power. No, there's and no power that's the, in it. Right, and that when you when you are looking to instructions or, and uh, all right, let me put it this way: first use of the law is designed to lead you to despair. Second yeah. use of the law is designed to lead you to effectiveness, meaning that yeah. it's not designed well to lead you to despair. It's saying, hey, this is how you can be effective in loving your brother. Mm-hmm. But there's another, here's another, just one more from Philippians. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He's saying, listen, if you have been encouraged by what you've been received, this love, participation of the spirit, affection and sympathy. He's pointing to your motivations. He goes, if this has happened to you, you've seen the glory of Christ in chapters one. And then, by the way, he goes on to even explain that Christ then lowered himself. So verses four all the way down to verse 11, he gives you more motivation of saying, watch how Christ did this and what he Mm -hmm. did for you and let that be your motivation. It's never fear. It's always looking to Christ in faith. Yeah. So Philippians 2, you know, consider Christ and what he did for you is just like what we thought about as a church on Sunday from the book of Genesis. Like Jacob is renamed Israel. In this account where God comes down, takes on flesh, limits himself, wrestles with a man and willingly loses to him. He could have destroyed Jacob, but he didn't. That's not what he meant to do. He renames this man and says, your name's now going to be Israel, which means he strives because you have striven with man and with God and have prevailed. So it's like this man's name is going to be a forever reminder that he is who he is and God's people are who they are because God willingly came down, took on flesh and lost, right? Like that's what our identity is about now. And you consider what Christ did, Philippians 2, he leaves the glories of heaven. He takes on flesh. He's born as a baby. He suffers his whole life. He obeys perfectly. And then at the right time, he willingly gave his life up, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. That's right. He willingly lost, right? So that we might have the victory. He willingly died so that we might have life. And then it's like, hey, consider Christ in that way and let your heart be stirred with love and gratitude to where you now you now leave that contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ motivated to love your neighbor and motivated to pursue obedience. You know? Mm. And that's <laughs> that's a better way, John. I I mean, I'll I'll die saying it. I know you will too. And, no, uh, it is. So let's go back to Paul's statement. This is the yeah. power of God unto yeah. righteousness. So for salvation. So God's power is come. He has he um, let it. He's let it be. He has given it in form of word. Uh-huh. And that word, when believed, brings forth transformation. So we yeah. see transformation from death to life, from mm. that's salvation, the, the miracle mm. of salvation. And then we see ongoing sanctification. He who began mm-hmm. a good work and you will complete he it. Will. Oh, foolish Galatians. Yeah. How have you begun by the spirit? Now you're going to be perfected by the flesh. It's God's word through God's people. When they focus in on God's power through the gospel, we Amen. find not only salvation, but we find our sustenance, the way in which that we yeah. will then be transformed in the image of Christ, right? This is 2 Corinthians 4. When we look at the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we're transformed into his image. When we're looking at what God has done in Jesus, we don't look at the law and are transformed into his image. We look at what Christ has done for us, and then we're transformed. Amen. Last comment from me before we go over to SR. Grace terrifies people, and it shouldn't, because the same grace that saves is the same grace that transforms lives. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. 
Amen. So remind me again what we're going to be talking about in SR because uh, we have well, talked about so much. Well, one of the things that I want you to talk about is an experience that you had going to a conference a few months oh. ago that was in your own city. Yes. And I, we'll leave it at that. Oh, we're not going to name the conference. Okay, we'll no, not name the we conference. we will over there, but not <laughs> yeah. here. Family uh, time. Family yeah. time. Yeah. So for those of and, you that want to know, go ahead. And yeah, and for those of you who are just like, oh my gosh, it's going to eat at me if I don't know what they're talking about, then that's why you should become an SR member. <laughs> and if you can't afford it, just send me an email. This is the most shameless a, bait and switch I've I'll ever give done. You, I know, I'll give you a There we have. There hey, we go. what we do is uh, part of the way in which we help continue to transform people out of fear and bondage into mm. the rest Gratitude, in Jesus Christ. Joy, rest. Right, that's yeah. right. Guilt, grace, gratitude is um, we use a ministry called Semper Reformanda, and that helps one fund Theocast and what we're doing, but it also allows us to give us the resources to do more books and more uh, materials, and there's just a lot. And if you want to participate and be a part of this transformation where we're seeing more people go to church, more people find rest, more people literally finding Christ for the first time, mm. um, then this is a way for you to participate in that. And then we use it also as an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit more candid and more, I think, theological. And oftentimes we will be um, more, um, I don't know, academic at times. We we have we have fun. We plan out the podcast for the first 45 minutes and then the SR podcast yeah, literally bit. is, well, well anything talks. Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to know more about that, we have an app. That's where you can participate with us. We have our free podcast. We have our, sorry, private podcast feed that you can download to your phone. All of that can be found at theocast.org. And yeah, you can come join the conversation. Yeah, we even have live chats going on over there now. I hop in there once in a while to answer questions. I know Justin is as well. So I at least, we'll see I you guys at least there. mean to do so. He, he, mean, he will. We'll yeah. get him in there one day. We'll see. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Peace.